Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers. Appointed over me. According to regulations. And the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. And before I get into this episode, I just want to remind everybody that I do host a open Zoom um, virtual meeting every Friday nights. If you find me on my uh, Instagram or Facebook page, American Vet Podcast, you can get the link there. It's open for anybody, and anybody can join. We talk about whatever anybody wants to talk about. Um, you can come on. You can just sit there and listen if you wanted to. You don't have to talk. But uh, for this episode, I'm sitting down here with Matthew. He's a 19-year veteran with the Navy and the Coast Guard. While in the Navy, he was a minesweeper assigned to a rotational crew for four years. The rest of his 19 years was spent with the Coast Guard as an operations specialist on multiple ships. Now he is a Mission 22 ambassador who has been on some inspirational physical and mental health journeys. Matthew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Outstanding, brother. Thanks for having me on the show, man. It's an honor. Oh, thank you for uh, agreeing to it. So, uh, so we'll get into it. Um, so, Matthew, why, why the, why the Navy, why the military in general? Who were you uh, before in military? Um, <laughs> um, I've, I know I've heard this one a lot from other guys in the Navy and the DoD, but uh, I didn't have a lot of options. My dad basically said, um, you need to either move out or join the military. So uh, I did both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I uh, was actually trying to join the Air Force. I got in a little trouble. And uh, when I told the Air Force about it, they're like, nope. The the dude actually stood up at his desk, pointed at the door and said, "Uh, thank you, but uh, we're good now. And uh I went back to school and I told my buddies about it who were joining the Navy and they were like, Oh yeah, the Navy won't care. We'll, we'll go get the recruiter and he'll be here this week. And yeah, he was there the next day. I told him what I did and he's like, who cares? And, uh, uh, so he actually, uh, he actually tried to hook me up with a good school before I joined. Um, but, uh, I begged him to take, I I said, I take any job you give me if you can get me out of here as soon as I graduate high school. I did not want to stick around. I, uh, I wanted to leave really, really bad where I was from, but I also wanted to see the world. And I think that's why I ended up wanting to go in the Navy because I figured that's where I would get the most travel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Luckily, I don't know if it happened to you. Were you on a ship for a long time in the Navy, or did you actually get to travel quite a bit? Um, well, being on a minesweeper was a unique situation. One of the smallest ships that the Navy has to offer. <laughs> and uh, we have we had at the time, actually, I, I don't know if they're still there or not, but uh, at the time, we had uh, minesweepers four deployed to Bahrain. We had two in Bahrain and two in Japan. 
And the two in Bahrain, people would, uh, we were on rotational crews. So when we were stateside, we were out of Ingleside, Texas, and an exotic trip for us there would be going to Panama City, Florida, or Fort Lauderdale for a week. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and when we deploy, we just hop in an airplane and fly to Bahrain. And over in the Gulf, we saw more stuff, but, you know, it's pretty restricted. And it was, I mean, by 90 standards, it was everything was locked up. We'd pull into Saudi Arabia. We couldn't leave the pier. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw cool places in the Middle East. Loved it over there. I thought it was an amazing culture. Oh, perfect. So that's got to be nerve-wracking. So when I hear, like, uh, Navy Minesweeper, um, I'm just thinking, like, you're in the, under the water. You know, you're all those... You can't even see them. Like you're hoping that your sonar picks up on them and stuff like that. Like that's got to be nerve wracking as hell. Yeah. One time, uh, I think it was Operation Desert Fox. It was my second deployment over there. And we, I can't remember what ship I was on. I think it was the Arden and our sister ship, the Dextrous, were tasked to go into Iraqi waters and do some actual mine hunting. Um, there were these old reports from the Gulf War days of, uh, Mines, because that's Saddam mined the place back back then in the early nineties. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we went through and we did it for real. Um, so whenever we're going through and looking for stuff for safety purposes, if you're not on watch, then you're outside um, outside the skin of the ship, as they would say. Okay. So half the crew would just be hanging out on the fantail or wandering around on outside, <laughs> you know, and the whole reason is just in case, you know, you hit a mine and something blows up, you get more survivors by flinging them off the ship Kinda instead makes... of through the bulkheads, you know, it gets a little messy that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to go down with it too. So you'd rather stay above it the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we didn't find anything. Yeah. I was going to ask we that too. Get, we, we did get chased out by the Iraqis. We got this phone call from fifth fleet headquarters and I was on watch when it happened. I'll never forget this moment. And, uh, we just get this phone call because minesweepers have no defense. There's handheld stinger missiles and two fifty cal machine guns. So we get this phone call that their I think it was their seersucker missiles or something had locked onto our positions and, we had to get 70, we had to get outside a 70 mile radius as soon as possible. Well, these ships only go 13 knots, so it takes hours. <laughs> um, but uh, the first thing I did was look straight up at the overhead in the, in the wooden, because they're made out of wood. And I was looking at those wooden planks and I'm thinking, man, that would hurt. That would really hurt to <laughs> <Yeah>. get <laughs> splattered into that. Holy so shit. Yeah, our little mine hunting mission got cut short, didn't find anything. Um but uh it was a really cool experience. Nice, nice. Well, I'm glad that uh I'm glad that you didn't find anything, I guess. Um I know you're kind of out there and you want to find them, but it's kind of a good thing that you didn't find them because that means you know, you weren't in any uh immediate danger, I guess. Yeah. So, that's awesome. So, now you get done with the, so you decide to go, what pushed you to go to the Coast Guard? Just because you were on the ocean so much, you wanted to go Coast Guard? Well, I, I wanted to stay in the Navy. Yep. I tried to work things out with uh, getting a recruiting job. I even extended my, extended my contract and it all just fell flat. So out of frustration, I just got out of the Navy. Yep. And, uh, you know, I was... 
I wasn't heavily in debt, but I had bills to pay because I thought I was going to stay. And so I had bills to pay and I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I talked with my dad and uh, told him that I wanted to come and stay with them for a while and wanted to go to school. And I think he misunderstood me or why we understood, misunderstood each other, (laughs) but I took it as no, don't come home. And uh, so I didn't know what to do. So I stayed in the town. um, And eventually I got a job as a personal trainer. I had three jobs and I was trying to make the same amount of money I was as an E5. So I was part-time as a bouncer at a nightclub. Matter of fact, fun fact about that nightclub, um, that there's a TV show about Selena, um, okay. on Netflix, that nightclub was owned by her brother. And, uh, so I'd have to play security for that guy when he'd come in sometimes, but I was a bouncer to nightclub. I worked at GNC and I got a job as a personal trainer and it was lonely. It was freaking depressing. And I missed my friends. I missed the camaraderie. So yep. I went back to the Navy and they were jerking me around and I just didn't feel right about it. So I shopped around the other branches and, you know, I wanted to try to stay any five if possible or yep. at least any four. And the best I was getting was E3 and having to repeat boot camp and all that. Well, the Coast Guard said, um, you can stay any five if you keep your job that you had the Navy and we'll give you a signing bonus. We'll let you uh, skip boot camp and go straight to your first unit. And I was like, I don't know what you guys do, but sign me up. <laughs> yeah, no shit. All I knew is that my dad was in the Coast Guard in the 70s and he was on an icebreaker. And I thought, OK, you know what? Maybe I can permanently get on his good side by joining the <laughs> Coast Guard. So that was a uh, that was at least half of my motivation for joining the Coast Guard. Other than what I assumed was going to be just a mini version of the Navy, same stuff I experienced, just uh, different colored ships and different uniform. Perfect. Yeah, and 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 the Coast Guard is, you know, we all we all make fun of the Coast Guard, but the Coast Guard is really no joke. And no, it's it's not. (laughs) You know, you guys. uh, I got a good friend. I got a friend of mine that was in the Coast Guard, and uh, yeah, it's some of the stuff he's told me, and I'm like, man, that's that's. That's rugged, but so now you're now you're back in and at the Coast Guard, and you didn't have to go to boot camp. You kept your rank, so everything's looking good up for you at this point. Where did they send you first? Well, I told them though I, that I wanted to be on an icebreaker like my dad was, and I didn't know anything about how ships were billeted and where they were, but I did not know all the icebreakers were in Seattle. So I guess they interpreted that as, oh, he wants to go to Seattle. So they sent me to uh, a uh, 378-class cutter across the pier from the icebreakers. (laughs) (laughs) So what is uh, an icebreaker? You're saying icebreaker. I'm thinking it's just, in my head, I mean, because, you know, like I said, I'm a Marine, so I'm kind of, uh, you know, childish sometimes. But I'm thinking an icebreaker in my head is just a big ship that runs into the side of an iceberg to break the ice up kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe not so much icebergs, but the thick sheets of ice. Um, they're mainly used for, uh, opening up shipping channels, okay. uh, especially in the Arctic and in the Great Lakes. They're vital to make sure that, you know, uh, scientists and commerce and all that stuff take place. Cause otherwise it'll be frozen over, you know, right. for, for months at a time. And the cool thing about the reason I wanted to go on an icebreaker is because they go to the Arctic circle in Antarctica. 
and they hit all the coolest places in between. And I thought that sounded like a dream come true for me. Right. Exactly. All right. So now, now you get out there and, uh, you get on the ship and at what point do you call your dad and say, Hey dad, I'm doing uh, exactly what you did. So you can't, uh, can't give me shit anymore. Um, I don't think I ever did. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't in a good place when I joined the Coast Guard. Yeah. I had just, I mean, when I left the Navy, I, within the last couple of months I was in, I was nominated senior, senior sailor of the quarter as a testament just to just hard work and character. Only to like six months later, man, I was barely distinguishable from an alcoholic. I just <laughs> was like, I gave up. And started drinking like crazy when I hadn't beforehand. Um, it was just acting like an acting like an idiot. So I brought all that stuff into the Coast Guard, and um, I think it was like four months after I joined the Coast Guard, I was out in town and and got in a really bad alcohol incident. Did all kinds of stupid stuff. Um, ended up in jail. Coast Guard oh. threw the book at me, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, as they should have. I was I was actually thankful they let me stay in, um, but uh, I got busted down to E four and had the whole restriction. I think I think the restriction was for sixty days, and I had thirty days half pay. I can't remember the details, right? But I do know they th- they did a fa- they did me a favor, and they didn't um, start the restriction until we left for patrol, so I didn't have to do it while we were sitting in port. So. It was essentially like everyone was on restriction with me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> the only the only downside was whenever we pulled into port, I ha- I couldn't leave the ship. And uh and that was kind of agonizing when you just gotta get off that ship so bad. Yeah. And uh plus it was Alaska and I'd never been in Alaska before. So it was cold and dark. I was it was cold, dark, and depressing. Yep. And uh but uh yeah. <laughs> That's what that's what I got. I got what I deserved, um, but I rebounded from it. Perfect. And uh, they were the command was awesome. It given me a second chance, and uh, they set me up for success. And things really turned around from there. Hell yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you. So besides all that, like, what is like ship life as a uh, ice scraper in, in the Coast Guard? Well, to clarify, I was never on an icebreaker. I, I just okay. wanted to be on them. <laughs> but they stuck me on high endurance cutters instead. So those are our little, our, our Coast Guard, like many uh, warships. Well, I say many in comparison to Navy warships. Okay. But uh, these ships have a broader uh, range or scope of responsibilities than an icebreaker does. So um, we would do patrols up in the Bering Sea where we would protect the maritime boundary line. It's basically an international border in the Bering Sea between Russia and the U.S. And the reason we keep an eye on that is because we have this gigantic, I think it's Pollock stock up there um, in the Aleutians, and they migrate up to that line. And when for us on watch, when we see it on radar, it's nothing on the scope for days. And all of a sudden, you see a row of dots. And it's because the fish go right up there, and they're trying to sneak over and scoop as much as they, as much as they can. 
And uh, so we're up there basically, you know, as the cops, just making sure people are staying on their side. And then, of course, we do uh, counter drug patrols down in the South Pacific. Those are fun. Um, I've been I've been all over the place on a 370. I've been to Russia and Alaska a bunch of times, uh, up and down the West Coast, Costa Rica a bunch of times, Panama, Tahiti, American Samoa, and Western Samoa. And and that was uh, while I was based out of Seattle for one and uh, Honolulu for the other. Well, you got your wish and got to be able to see the world then. I did. <laughs> I definitely did. You know, the the fun fact that most people wouldn't think about, or even I'd never expected the with the Coast Guard and me transferring all over the place. Um, before I retired, I was able to see and visit all 50 states. Nice. Yeah, I thought that's that's a uh I always call that a fun fact about me. Something I'm super proud of. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen much of anything besides some airports and stuff like that. Gotcha. <laughs> so what's your favorite state then? If you had to pick one. Uh, Oregon. Why is that? It just feels like home to me. I okay. love that it has it has this it's so lush and rugged and foggy and misty and mysterious and uh i love everything about it plus the temperature i lived on the coast and summer times the temperature is about 65 70 and the winter time the average is like 45 so it's an amazing climate and because yeah. uh, i don't like it when it gets too hot yeah um and the fishing oh the fishing is awesome out there i was spoiled there would be days <laughs> i'd go out and uh, and I'd catch 30, 40 trout just in a few hours. Wow. I was I was spoiled. And unlike the other state, like Washington, I love Washington State too. But Oregon just has a lot less people, so you can go places and it feels a lot more solid solitary and isolated. Yeah, more free. Yeah, and for fishing, you know, it's like you have the whole place to yourself. It's amazing. I need that because uh Every time I go fishing, the guy right next to me will be using the same bait and everything, and he'll catch the fish all day long, and nothing for me. I just feed him, or my bait never leaves the pole, and it's it's very frustrating for me. I just, I mean, I get drunk, so I mean, I, at least there's that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't catch the fish. I don't know, but uh, I'm going to keep on doing that when I go fishing. All right. So, what... Uh, Anything that comes to mind, like what was your I'm trying to say, like what was your most ins- inspirational moment at, in the Coast Guard for you? Um, well, I think it was over a couple of months, and I after I left that first unit, the one that I got, I went to NJP and got busted down. Um, they gave me what was basically a huge promotion in a sense, yep. by letting me be, um, like go to a, uh, medium endurance cutter, a two, t- 210 foot one. And my job would have, was the independent duty operations expert. And, uh, I went there and I worked, I, I, I thought I worked, I did an okay job. And I'll put, I'll say that I thought yep. I did a pretty good job, but I don't know if it was because of, um, other 
people that had that job before me, but they just didn't have faith in that position. And it was just an afterthought. So they didn't use me for anything. And eventually we got a new CO and this guy, man, he was a hard charger. He had just came from the white house. He was there over nine 11. He got these crazy awards that were so classified. The admiral that was giving him the award was basically like, okay, he just stops in the middle of the fake citation. He's like, okay, everyone. Yeah. Let's just say your, your CO is a really big deal. (laughs) (laughs) He just left it at that. But he came to me and he's like, hey, you're the operations expert. I'm going to rely heavily on you. And I had no idea what that meant. But he charged me. He he tasked me with doing the impossible. And he believed in me. And I never realized I had such a desire and a need for creative problem solving at that level. Um, But, man, it made me come alive. and. We didn't just do a good job. We revolutionized the way that law enforcement operations were even done in New England. Um, Ships would go out and do boardings. We would do boardings on fishing vessels and civilian vessels, like maybe an average average eight-week patrol you might get, or six to eight-week patrol, you might get 15 to 20 boardings. When we went out for our eight-week patrol, by completely revolutionizing the way business was done, we did 94 wow. in the same time frame. And I mean, we made it look easy. And so, I mean, that just built so much confidence in me and my ability. I, I, I just, it was like, I found buried treasure in me. I was like, I didn't know I was even capable of planning this kind of stuff and executing things. And my CEO, even one time he, he actually invited me to go to another CEO's house. We were uh, we were getting relieved by another cutter, and um, he wanted me to be part of the uh, team that went up to brief. So I sat in another CEO's house, had beer with her, and uh, laid out the whole operational thing and everything we were doing out there. And when we were done, my CEO came up to me and shook my hand and said, Petty Officer Greiner. He said, you have to be the finest first-class petty officer I've ever seen. And uh, I was just blown away, blown away. And that just gave me, that. you know, it motivated me and gave me so much drive and desire to just try harder, to dream bigger. And we did that. The next patrol, we went down south of the Caribbean trying to intercept uh, what we call go fast, you know, the... Uh, those super fast 40 knot, 40 to 50 knot speedboats that they usually carry like one to three tons of cocaine. Yep. But he expected me to work my magic. And I was like, Captain, I was like, these guys are trying to stay away from us. I'm like, the <laughs> other guys were not. I'm like, I can track a fishing boat. I'm like, but these dudes don't put transponders on the, on these things. But uh, he looked at me, he's like, do you need more resources? He's like, I still expect you to do this. Yeah. And, uh, but again, because he was this, it was so funny. He was the senior person. I think he was the senior person afloat of all the other ships in the Caribbean at the time. So that meant as far as the, 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 uh, 
the task unit we were working for, we had authority to task Navy ships and other Coast Guard ships and direct air assets. So he he's again, it was like, all right, work your magic. So I actually stayed in my little shop and I think I stayed up all night a couple times and they came up with this elaborate plan. The next day, called it to all the other afloat units and got the details out. We all did what we were supposed to do. And boom, we made a bust. And it was like we didn't have any intel that it was going to happen. I, I just got this book and I started reading stuff and I started researching and uh, just doing all this stuff and then trusted my gut. And the amazing thing was the captain trusted me. So it was like all of the Caribbean was trusting me and, and we pulled it off and it was amazing. It was amazing. And uh, so ever since then, that's awoken a a major drive and uh, for just taking ownership and initiative, you know, wherever I'm at. Right. And uh, implementing positive change if and when possible. And, uh, you know, I've always been about personal and professional performance and performance uh, management. So if we can make it better, let's make it better. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to, I mean, I'm glad that you kind of, you touched on that. Um, So you're a mission 22 ambassador as well. And, and just want to let the, listeners know that you put up some amazing content on our mission 22 platform of just your hikes and stuff like that. And the stuff that you're doing in your, in your mission 22 bricks, the flag, all of that. So what's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil all of the, the details, but like what, what made you, you know, you know, you're out of the, out of the Coast Guard now and you're, you're doing all this. What made you decide to do this? And like, how did you come behind this and what drives you to keep doing that? It's personal. Okay. And I am tying, it's a very personal mission. And, you know, when it's personal, yep. it's amazing what we can do. And, and I know this mission is personal to all of us at some level. Yep. but. You know, to well, I don't want to make a long story short, but almost six months ago to the day, I stopped taking antidepressants after taking them for 11 years on my second 378. I just, over time, I crumbled. I, I struggled with a massive amount of resp- responsibility and I was handling way more than I should. And I wasn't managing anything in a healthy way. I didn't even know how Um, I felt like I couldn't ask for help. And I just imploded and I wanted to die. I felt, I already felt dead. And, you know, it was sad. I mean, a lot of people, I think a lot of people didn't notice. I went, uh, I think I went 30 days and didn't even leave the ship. And uh, I was sleeping like 12 hours a day, waking up just to work. And I wasn't communicating with anybody. I mean, I was, the chemicals were just depleted. Yeah. And, uh, but miraculously on our way back to, we were in San Francisco on our way back to Hawaii, we had our work life staff on board and they did their annual suicide awareness training. Man, it, it hurt listening to that. Cause I thought everyone was looking at me like, wow, yeah. that's him. And of course that stigma at the time was, 
oh my gosh, they can't find out about any of this or I'll get kicked out or lose my clearance or lose my job. You know, some stupid hypothetical scenario that prevents us from getting help. Right. I mean, everybody's, everybody's giving you all that pressure and looking at for you. And you can't sound weak at this point after everything that you've done. I can see that. And I, uh, when we came back, I mean, it, matter of fact, somebody had to come get me. We had been gone for six months and I didn't even want to leave my shop. I didn't even want to see my wife. I could barely, I mean, I was chemically just depleted. Yeah. I didn't have energy to talk. I didn't have energy for to even stay awake. And for about three weeks, I was on the couch. Now, the very next day after we pulled in, though, I called the work-life staff I talked to. The, the woman who was leading it was a retired E8, and uh, I was an E7 at the time, and we were able to really connect. And uh, I told her, I'm like, look, I need help now, <laughs> right. right now, and this, this is going to be bad. So it was a struggle to get back that mental health, you know, it took a lot of time. And of course it was juggling medication after medication, which means you're acting a little bit weird or you feel weird and your body's not working right. I know for me, you know, I, I just, it made me sweat like crazy and it made me re it, it made me like, it, it, I don't know. I swear it added like an extra 10 pounds to me. And it just, those like the Zoloft made me just, meh, be like, meh, whatever. And it affected my work. And, you know, but you don't see the medication, you know, when you're evaluating somebody, you just measure the performance. And with all those stigmas in place, you can't get right to the point, you know, it's the, oh, no, everything's fine. I'm just having a rough day. Yeah. That kind of crap. But when I was fine, you know, I was finally starting to come around, man. My my uh, unit sent me to an advanced leadership school. It was for E8s and E9s. And I got I started to get fired up again. And I was and I was using my the passion and the drive and the things that I found on that ship called the Dependable, you know, where I was doing all that stuff in New England and the Caribbean. But I was directing it towards work life stuff. And trying to get resources and help and all this stuff for more coasties wherever they were stationed. So going through all going through that episode and coming through it, man, I, I knew that it was just such an intense thing that it needed to happen. And I'm glad it happened. I'm thankful I survived, but yeah. I'm thankful it happened because that's where change takes place, man. Um, but right when I was starting to get on, get things back and I was recommended for, uh, senior enlisted positions. And I was like, yeah, all right. I can start taking care, taking care of lots of people. I get pancreatitis out of the blue Mm. and I get pancreatitis again and again and again and again. I'm, and then this happened the same week I was supposed to transfer to my new unit. So the day that I got pancreatitis, the movers were at my house. My household goods were being packed up and were shipped off. So when they left, I went to the emergency room. They said I had pancreatitis. I was in for a week. It was over our 10-year anniversary. It was just an ugly, ugly situation. And uh, the 
my outgoing unit and the incoming unit, they had to negotiate whether or not they even wanted me. Thankfully, they they were we were able to be like, well, you guys are in Seattle. This is a tiny little town, so you guys have the medical facilities. So went up there and I did okay for a while. Um, I was still on pain meds. It was like, I mean, it was the pain from pancreatitis is unlike anything that can be described. Um, it, uh, it feels like a combination of eating broken glass, battery acid and having, uh, being repeatedly stabbed in the side. And, uh, yeah, it usually leaves me on my hands and knees, um, or at best standing up and bent over at 90. Um, there's been times I've almost passed out many times. I've almost passed out from the pain. Wow. But, uh, so I was on pain meds forever, but in 2015, I, I missed like 10 months of work and it was a little frustrating. They, it seemed like they wanted to expedite my med board to just get me the heck out. And there was a policy in place that allows um, members to stay in to 20 years if they've already reached 18. But that, you know, that wasn't taken into consideration. And, or at least my case was at least treated as an extenuating circumstance. And, uh, and I was medically retired by the end of 2015. Ah. So that was frustrating. That was really frustrating. And then we, I wanted to stay in the Northwest and then we, we up and moved all the way across the country again to Northern Virginia, one of my least favorite places in the United <laughs> States. I just can't stand being near DC. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. I, I, my heart is out here in the mountains and the woods and the trees and the water. And uh, it, it's easily suffocated in suburbia. Yeah. Okay. So now, now, unfortunately, you know, you had definitely had a lot of highs and a lot of lows, uh, going through your 19 years in service. And now you get out, you know, you're medically discharged in 2015. When did you start doing all of your, like your hikes and stuff like that? And like all the, the motivation I think you have, it's, it's called what, uh, 22 peak project, I think is what it's called. Yeah. 22 peaks project. Well, I've always, when when I got to Oregon um, after that tour that where I had that suicidal episode, it was a breath. I mean, it was a literal and figurative breath of fresh air. My soul felt free, and I was just coming alive, being out in nature again, fishing again, and doing all these things I love. Yeah, and uh, you know, the pancreatitis put all that on pause, and yeah, at one point. In, in early 2017, um, I was in the hospital again for pancreatitis, but I was also in kidney failure and my opioid use was out. Of, I mean, it was really bad. And while I was in there, the anesthesiologist came in one day and, and said that I think I had somewhere between, I think it was close to 60 milligrams of IV dilated in a 24 hour period. Wow. And, and I was completely functional and (laughs) that was bad. And because I was in so much pain and I felt like I was on death's door, 
something inside me is like, dude, you need to get off these opioids no matter what's going to happen. And I was scared to death to get off of them because I thought I was going to have debilitating pancreatic pain, you know? And then that's what people who take these things and get addicted, you know, because they're taking them for the right reasons. It's what they deal with. And I just had to be like, I had to ask myself if I wanted to just continue feeling the same, if I wanted to let these things control me, if I wanted to let them affect my relationships, if I wanted it to affect me and it was destroying me big time. Um, and I just had to, you know, uh, I prayed and I just had to step out in faith and uh, assuming that God was going to take care of me. And he did. And matter of fact, 2017 was the only year I only had one pancreatic episode. So it took six. I had to check myself into rehab. I did it voluntarily. Um, I found a Suboxone. They put me on Suboxone. And I found a provider that was like, you do not need to stay on this. You can quit this. And uh, he was an amazing guy, like a, like a Lebanese Marlon Brando. I could barely understand the guy, but he was awesome. <laughs> But it took six grueling months where I was to taper down, but I was eventually narcotic free. I think September twenty first, twenty seventeen, and uh, and it was a hard adjustment. But I was still on a lot of other drugs, and so I moved, we moved out to Colorado last year because my wife got a new job and we wanted to be closer to nature. Yep. And uh, dude, this is hard to not want to stay outdoors when you see those mountains every single day. And so when I moved here, I had a back injury. Um, I had started rucking a couple of years before and I got myself in pretty good shape, but I was still just being ravaged inside because of a lot of the drugs I was on. Um, I would do these endurance events and I felt horrible. And I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I, it, it never dawned on me. And I was never told that these could be side effects from all the medications. And uh, so we come out here and, and honestly, <laughs> I, this might sound cliche, but 2020 got me so pissed off. I was <laughs> like, I cannot take this anymore. And I'm going to see if Gandhi's right. And I'm going to start to change the world by starting with me. Right. And because uh, I just could, I mean, like most people, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I looked, I took a hard look at myself and I said, You're part of the problem, dude. And I said, Your apathy, your cynicism, your, your sarcastic approach to life, you're part of the problem. Yeah. And, you know, I was entrenched in political, this, that, and the other. And I looked at that and I'm like, That's part of the problem. I have to get rid of that. So I just started taking steps one after another. I started tapering off the drugs. I was on gabapentin, uh, which is a nerve medication. They had me on a heavy dose of that. That one was really, really hard to get off of. And uh, I still can't believe I did it. I would wake up at three in the morning feeling like my spine was getting ripped out of my back and like my, uh-huh. my skin was on fire. And sometimes I would, I would just feel this overwhelming this urge to just scream. And it's like my whole body just felt like it felt like I had like 10, 10 pots of coffee and was just completely just out of my mind. But there'd be times I would just be in the fetal position screaming and just pulling my hair and just screaming and screaming and screaming and trying to pray and scream and pray yeah. and scream. 
And then I went through the agony and then the, the one that I was afraid to get off, you know, just like the opioids was the antidepressant, but I knew it was messing me up, man. I was sick and tired of the emotional feeling emotionally manipulated by it. Like I had some sort of governor stuck in my head. I was, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I wanted to feel again. I wanted to experience again, to think again, but I was scared. But uh, I talked with my doctors at the VA to get off all the stuff. And so I, I had counsel. So I proceeded as directed. But uh, that first day I skipped a dose, man, that suit. I mean, it was like ripping the world's biggest bandaid off. And I was right back where I was 11 years ago, dealing with that intense feeling of just wanting to freaking die because I felt dead already. Wow. And, and it's a horrible, horrible place to be. Yeah. And I was down in my basement for hours and I was mad at myself because I took the steps to prevent myself from killing myself. So my wife had already locked up all the guns. She locked the guns in one place and ammo somewhere else and hid the key. I don't know where anything is. Right. And, uh, and at the same time, I was like, you know what? It's cool. I have bands. I'll hang myself from my pull-up bar. But I stood there and I, I worked it all through. And I'm like, she's going to find me. Because I'm just going to flip this piece of junk over. Because it is a piece of junk. <laughs> so being a piece of junk, it probably saved my life. Yeah. Um, but after a few hours, I s- slowly started to just get the faintest glimmer of hope, but in the sense of thinking, man, I don't want to, I don't want to die. Right. I just want this to stop. I need this to stop. You wanted yourself back. Yeah. And you know, God works in mysterious ways. And a friend of mine in Alaska, a coasty veteran from my first unit, he reached out to me a couple hours later after I had gone through that. And, and he had just lost a friend to suicide a few days earlier. He had, he had quit antidepressants like me, walked out in the woods and never came back. Wow. So he was pleading with me not to do this and to at least set up all these safety mechanisms. And, and I, I knew that I needed to hear that for a reason. Yep. So uh, the next day I, I made a Facebook post and reached out to some friends and I was like, look, this is where I'm at. This is me asking for help. I'm yeah. not going to reach out when I need it most because I don't trust myself. Right. And I tell you what, man, that's a moment to find out who your friends are. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I had a handful of people that started reaching out. I had a bunch of people that first day, but it was only a handful that kept reaching out day after day after that. and. These people, man, I am eternally indebted to them. And, uh, but I had the one thing I had to do was reach, reach out for help, was ask for help, admit I needed help. And I needed to establish some sort of community, some sort of relationship, accountability. Right. I needed to keep myself active. So I started this crazy workout plan that I did for 22 days straight. Each day I decided that I, I, that's when I heard about mission 22 a year prior, but didn't know much about them, but I wanted to see what they were made of with me going through my own circumstances. So each day, um, you know, I, I checked in with people. I did my workouts. I read 22 pages. I was trying to do all these positive things 
healthy habits. And I also made sure I donated $22 to Mission 22 yep. to remind myself that I need to help them help others. Um, yep. And on day 22, my wife and I, we celebrated it by climbing uh, our first 14er out here. And it was Mount Bierstad, about an hour, about an hour west of Denver. And uh, it's a miserable slog, but it's so rewarding. <laughs> and it was so amazing. And climbing mountains, I mean, the analogies and the similarities between mountain climbing and mental health are, you know, they go hand in hand. Oh. And uh, you have to train for both. You have to prepare mind and body for both. You have to be ready to be able to fight and do what's right when you're exhausted. You know, um, when things look tough. And when you reach a false summit, you thought you think you got to the top and realized you're ha only halfway there. You know, <laughs> you got to learn to dig deep. And uh, and, you know, and you learn that if you want to succeed, if you want to get to that summit, you cannot quit. And, uh, you know, you can retreat a little bit, you know. Obviously, if it's lightning storms out there, not safe to proceed. But you know what? You just you just hunker down, you know, and that's life. You know, sometimes I know I still deal with lots of social anxiety and I get hit with anxiety and panic issues. And, uh, and it's like that, it's like that lightning storm on the mountain, you know, you got to hunker down and breathe and wait and breathe and wait. And, uh, and that's why this is personal. That's why I want to be a mission 22 ambassador because, you know, going through this, I found purpose in sharing my story with other people and yeah. saying, dropping the ego and, and saying, look, dudes or whoever, look, we'll get through this together, you know? And one thing that I love about, about mountain climbing is, are the cairns that people set up, you know, they're like lighthouses for mountain trails. So it's a pile of rocks. Someone comes up and adds a rock and says, you know what? This is the way. This is the trail. This is where we're supposed to go. Wow. And then you proceed a little bit further. You see the next one and you say, okay, this is what we have to do. And, um, and that's what I want to do with veterans participating with me in this 22 Peaks project. Because I want to build community at the same time. I want to honor fallen veterans, obviously. I want to I want to take my Mission 22 flag and stake it at the top of the mountain and, and declare it conquered in the name of mental health and uh, Mission 22. But it's about establishing that community. And it requires yeah. us to be vulnerable, to be willing to share, to drop the ego and say, you know what, it doesn't matter if this person was in the military for six weeks. Yep. It doesn't matter if they were in for 30 years. It doesn't matter if they were an admiral or, you know, an E2. Everybody has something. And, and you know, we can learn from that. And, you know, we all pile our rocks, you know, yep. and create our own mental health cairns. And, we and you know, they say to each other, this is the way. You know what? I got through this by going this way. and. Uh, and that's the goal. Perfect. <laughs>
No, that's you're absolutely right. You know the the stigmas that are out there and everything else. And once you start talking, like you said, you know, once you start talking about it, once you're open, once you become vulnerable and whatnot, and just being, you're almost being true to yourself. And you almost once you start telling everybody, you know, what's going on with you and stuff like that, you almost get to see what they don't see in you. You know, yeah. And you know, yeah, going up the mountains and, and mountain climbing and and getting up there that is a hell of a a hell of a, a a fight. A lot of mountains out there are not not easy, you know. And to get all the way up there, that's you're setting these these incredible goals, and and you and you're going, and you're taking Twenty Two Peaks project with you, and you know you, you're you're growing that, and you're getting you get a lot of respect from me. Is what I'm trying to say. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I I like watching uh, when you post your pictures out there with the flag and your rucks. And you know the the twenty two brick and and stuff like that, and your videos that you do, it's all very. It's those you know you have a way of saying things that should be said. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean it, and that's why I was excited when uh, you decided you that you would want to be a, a guest on my show. I was like, oh, this is like I said, this is this is perfect, and uh, you know, I can't imagine going through all of that you know, in your service time and, and all the pain and all the medicine and, 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 and the pills and, and being able to overcome the depressants and get off of it and find a, a new, a new pill in a way of, you know, ruck marches and, uh, mountain climbing is it, it, inspirational and it's, it's outstanding. Thanks, man. Tell you what, the big factor for me is my faith and, yep. you know, I've, I've, gone through and I've tried to reapproach uh my faith to my faith. <laughs> um but I I read through the gospels over and over and over and over and over as I was going through this. And John 10:10 10, 10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy and I've come to give life and give it abundantly. And I said, "Okay, Jesus, I want to hold you to that." Yeah. So I've been seeing that take place in my life. And, uh, you know, being able to rise above death and destruction in my life. And honest, I mean, it feels like a dream come true for me to be able to do what I'm doing out here. And what's so cool about being a Mission 22 ambassador is that, um, I mean, I'm a disabled vet yep. and I collect my paycheck. I don't work. Um, but this feels like a job to me. You know, it feels like a purpose. And I know that in Colorado specifically, the veteran suicides are skyrocketing. And in 2019, there were 217. And that was a, it was either a 25 or a 36% increase over the previous year. Yeah. But it was an all time high. And the thing is, is that, I mean, it's hard, but it's so simple in theory. Take what you're passionate about and try to, and because when you find what you're passionate about and it makes you come alive, yeah, that's what makes us engage better with other people. Because the thing that we're trying to do here with the war on suicide, it's life versus death. And we got to figure out a way to get that life lit inside other people. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we, there's so many ways we can engage the veteran community by starting with our passion yep. and uh, you know, 
like I said, it feels incredible that I have the opportunity to do all this, the health to do all this. And yep. who knows, you know, I mean, three months from now, I could be riddled with pancreatitis, but the show will go on somehow, some way. I've got my friend, Zach Snavely, who's going to do this with me. Another Coastie that I met through an Instagram ad just two months ago. An incredible story. And another guy, his name's Devin Alvarez. And I met this dude on top of a sand dune last year, the tallest sand dune in the United States. He was up there with his cousin talking about mental health. And he's a veteran. And I hustled my way all the way up to the top. Thought I was going to die getting up there. And it was for the purpose of me doing my 22 workouts that day. So I was like, hey, you ever heard of Mission 22? And it was, it was amazing. But the three of us have been working together. We get together once a week. We hike. We talk. We do. We're doing the 22 Peaks Project. And it's yep. an amazing thing to witness. And we just can't wait to get, the, get more veterans to participate and get this up on some real peaks and have some serious fun. Absolutely. And it, like I said, it is very inspirational watching you guys do it and, and stuff like that. It makes me definitely want to, you know, get out there and do the same things and uh, experience the, I guess, the mental glory that you get to experience every time you get to put that Mission 22 flag on the top. And Well, you're invited. You have an invitation to come out here. I have perfect. a schedule published and uh, you can pick your peak or we can do one. We can possibly do one custom, no promises on that one, but there is a schedule. You're more than welcome to come out here, man. It'd be awesome to do one with you. Outstanding. Yeah, I would love to come out there. Um, Yeah, that would be, you know, take the wife and everything. I mean, we all need it, especially with with 2020 with the COVID. Everybody sitting at home, everybody, you know, money-wise, stuff like that. And and you, you brought up earlier, you know, the numbers of the 22 a day. I recently just posted up on my Instagram and the TikTok page. Uh, the DOD released uh, first, second, and third quarter of last year of the 22. And within three months, um, July, August, and September, 111 veterans, active service members, committed suicide. Wow. And that's... the appalling. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's, and I tried to hit it in my video and hopefully I did it, but, you know, I'm going to put it here too. You know, that 111, that's not numbers, that's people. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, you know, fathers, brothers, sisters, all of it. That's, that's guys going through things that you've went through, things that, you know, other guys are going through that just didn't find their way because of the the stigma and, and, or, you know, you know, sadly, sometimes people reach out and people brush it off. Mm-hmm. you know don't brush it off when people reach out it's not it's not a joke um one of my good buddies one of my good friends of mine uh toby he was on an earlier episode he's you know he's a chaplain he was special forces in the army and got out and became a chaplain he said something oh, to me wow. yeah he uh he's an outstanding guy he actually officiated mine and my wife's wedding oh wow yeah but uh he said something to me on that episode and it's it's just it stuck with me. He said, you know, he, he, he told me, he goes, Dave, when you go ask somebody, no matter who he is, veteran or not, when you ask somebody, you know, hey, man, how you doing? You get that first, you know, that first response. Oh, man, I'm good. You know, you know, mm-hmm. like I said to you, I'm living a nightmare, chasing a dream. And he goes, after they give you that answer, ask them that question again. Mm-hmm. He's like, when you, when you ask them that, that second time, that's when they, they realize, like, you know, 
you're asking about me personally, you know, not, not just like, hello, it's not a greeting anymore. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's my challenge out there to people. It's just, you know, when you ask somebody how they're doing, whatever answer they give you, ask them again, good or bad, whatever they give you, ask them again. And I've been doing it and it's phenomenal. The changes that you get for answers, but no, I would lo- absolutely love to come out there and, and take part, take part of the, uh, the 22 peaks project. And like I said, it's, it's very inspirational to me. And, um, but I do have to ask you, what is, what is the, the ultimate peak for you? The ultimate peak for the summer? For what is your goal? Like what is, what peak is for you? Like by the time I, my, your bucket list, like that's the peak I'm going to hit if I had three more weeks, you know? Well, I have a couple alternates that I'm saving for October and they're going to be doozies. Um, I'd like to do Long's Peak in Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, it's a tricky one, but what makes it hard is that you're practically doing a marathon. And okay. uh, so you got to start. I mean, the, the best thing to do is to start. As a matter of fact, yeah, if I did it in October, that would be a lot of rucking in the dark. But you know what? That's what headlamps are for. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, your eyes but, are just uh, after a while. Just eat some carrots, right? All the peaks I'm doing this summer, I took into consideration that I I may be a hiker, but I'm not experienced on the mountains. And for other veterans to come with me, I don't want any. I don't want any of us to have to be in any uh, situations that could have been avoided. Right. So I left off all the peaks that require actual mountaineering. Um, left off the ones that, you know, it, it suggested you wear hard hats and stuff like that for falling rocks. So everything that we're doing this summer is all a trail, but next year, um, I would love to be able to, to say I climb Capitol peak and it's near Aspen and it's a doozy. Just Google it. Capitol peak. Okay. And yeah, <laughs> it. It's, 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 it's an, it's an enigma. It's an entity (laughs) all its own, but this summer there, there's a few on the list that I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm excited about all of them. Right. And, uh, I can't wait to get started. I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait either. Like I said, I can't talk about it enough. Your posts and and, and your videos that you put out is, uh, what really, you know, draw my, drew my attention to this whole you know, like you said, the mental aspect of everything, the mental health, the physical health, everything that goes through it, everything you got to overcome to get up there. But I mean, I was thinking, so do you, do you do, so like right now you're just in the Colorado area. Like, are you mm-hmm. going to try to branch? Obviously you're going to try to branch out that, that 22 and just kind of get it all over the U S. Well, I'm actually in the process of, I have been strongly suggested it's been strongly suggested that I turn 22 peaks project into its own nonprofit. And I, and I'm doing a lot of research into that right now. And I'd love it if it became a thing that existed for veterans here in Colorado. So, you know, my goal, my mission this year is 22 14ers, but it doesn't have to, for the future, it doesn't have to have that same connection. It can, it can be the significance of the 22 and the peaks project and meaning 
we just get together and we go up mountains, period. Whether they're 13,000 foot, 14,000 foot, 20, 10,000, whatever. The goal will be to try to climb 22 in a year, but, you know, size won't matter. Um, But um, I've been, I've had a few invitations to do some peaks uh, outside Colorado. This summer, I definitely wanted to focus on Colorado only mainly because of the, the skyrocketing veteran suicide rates here. Yes. But uh, I'd love to climb the ones on the West Coast, like Mount Whitney, Mount Shasta, and Mount Hood, Mount Rainier. It would be, I'd love to, to get up on those at, at some point, especially next year. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm waiting for that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. If you had any sort of um, quote or something like that to say to somebody that's about to join the Coast Guard or the Navy, you know, what would you, what would you tell them? Hmm. That's an excellent question. I would probably ask them if their heart's in it. Yeah. If they're doing it for the right reason. Um. I joined the Navy for the right reason, kind of, sort of. I mean, I, I, I claim I was kind of shuffled into it, but I really did. I, I was really excited about joining the Navy and seeing the world. Yep. Um, I didn't <laughs> I was a little let down, but you know what? I look back and it was a great experience. Thankful for all of it. Yeah. I joined the Coast Guard with a chip on my shoulder, resentful, bitter, and I I made other people's lives miserable because of that. I, yeah. So I wish someone would have had, would have had, I mean, I believe I, you know, I needed to join the Coast Guard all this happened for a reason, but I do wish I would have had someone that would have sat down with me and been like, dude, is this really what you want? You know? Yeah. And uh, just to make sure, you know, you're headed in the right direction or not doing it for somebody else or something. Yeah. All right. That's, that's, that's well said. And I kind of want to move into the, I know you, you not only just, not only do you do the 22 uh, peaks project, but you also do the, the ruck pancreatitis. So yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So what, what's, what's that all about? You know, ruck pancreatitis kind of became a thing a couple of years ago. I was signed up to uh, do the 10K for the Marine Corps Marathon. And I did it with the National Pancreas Foundation under Team Pancreas. So um, as a fundraiser item, I made a bunch of patches and called it Ruck Pancreatitis. And because that's what I called myself for my username for registration. (laughs) And uh, it just kind of became a thing. And, you know, my... So after I started rucking, um, and I, I thought my health was on point, I thought everything was good to go. I was very naive still. Yeah. But Go Ruck had just started a challenge called a mile per day, and it was for February 2019. And it was the first week of February, and I got pancreatitis. I was super sick. I couldn't even get off my hands and knees. And uh, I was so mad about that. I did not want to lose that challenge. So I took my ruck with me to the hospital. And as soon as I asked if I could start rucking and they're like, uh, no, you're not going anywhere in the emergency room. So, so they, you know, 
drug me up a little bit more back on the bed. And as soon as I was admitted later, you know, a few hours later, I think I, I think it was late at night. And I think I might've had like an hour. So it was my 10 30, 11 o'clock, but I go upstairs. I had them disconnect all the wires. I put my ruck on, had them reconnect all the wires and I turned my garment on and I just it started rucking around the hospital hallways. <laughs> and I found out that 11 laps around the uh, fifth floor of Reston Hospital, I think it was the fifth floor of Reston Hospital, is a mile. And uh, Dilaudid's a tricky drug, man. It's, it really messes with the brain. So it's like you're incredibly sedated. But for me, it, has, it gives me all this anxious energy. Okay. So, I mean, the doctors, here's the thing. And what they, people think, oh man, that's insane. He's rucking around the hospital and all this pain. Yeah, there was a lot of that, but they make you get out of the bed all the time to do something, or you have to get these super painful shots in your belly button, these blood, these uh, <laughs> anticoagulants. And I got sick and tired of getting jabbed in the belly with those things. So I've gotten, I just got in the habit of, I just start walking around. I just start walking around because there's nothing else to do. And, and I can't sleep. I just cannot sleep. Let's, it's not uncommon for me to go 72 hours before I fall asleep in the hospital, unless they give me, unless they give me like, you know, Ativan or something for it. Wow. But I just kept going. And I think the tally was like 170 something when I was all said and done. I think I was in the hospital for like three days. Um, but in Seattle, a few years earlier, I set a personal, I think it was 88 laps that I set for myself. So I was so bored. I just wanted to see if I could beat my old, my old record. And uh, <laughs> so I did. I, I, I uh, beat it times two. <laughs> well, congratulations. And it just kind of became the thing. It just kind of, the rook pancreatitis thing kind of, I don't know. It's uh, become its own thing. But now it's me just out, you know, trying to be 1% better, just, you know, try to keep improving and not quitting, man, not giving up. Yep. Showing people with the same pancreatitis that it can still be done. Yeah. 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 That something can be done. You know, you don't have to ruck or you don't have to walk around the hallways, but sometimes standing up, sometimes just choosing to have a positive attitude, that can be 1% better for the day. Absolutely. You know? They're, you know, it's debilitating, but it's, it doesn't leave us. We still have control of our mind. Yep. And that's what I'm getting at. We still have control of the choices we make. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you are a very uh, inspirational person, I got to say. You Thanks, know, man. You are. And I love everything that you're doing. Sure. I hope you never stop. I hope I can, uh, hope someday I can come out there and, uh, go up, you know, I probably can't do the 20,000 footers. Um, but everybody's got to start somewhere and I, hopefully I get to come out there someday with you and, and we do that. Maybe someday, you know, we get, we get 22 of us together and we go hit something really high on like the 22nd of the month or something like that. Just really, really drive it in and hopefully lower, lower the numbers for you guys out there. That's, you know, it's. I mean, I, I hate calling them numbers, man. I hate, I really do. But I hope, you know, we can lower the, stop the influx of uh, suicides out there for you guys. 
Yeah, it's it's awful everywhere. And you know, I mean, we're obviously focusing on focusing on veterans. Yep. For obvious reasons, but everyone is running yep. out of hope these days, you know. Yeah. It it's a truly hard time to just be alive for any human. And it's just so frustrating for veterans. We have these, you know, these invisible struggles that nobody sees. Yep. And, you know, we we had such a sense of purpose at one time. Yep. And, you know, when I was active, I tried, you know, when after I had my depressive and suicidal episode, I started being a huge work-life advocate. And I would tell the people that work for me, I'm like, you need to be careful what you find your identity in. Yeah. And I would tell them, like, you know, be careful when you make sacrifices for work at the, at the expense of family. I'm like, you need to invest your time in what's going to be there when you when you take off the uniform. Yeah. And uh, I did that, but wow, I didn't realize to how heavy of an extent I needed to focus on that for myself. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, that that that's true. I mean, and and you're right. It's not just veterans. It's you know first responders. It's it's everybody out there, and you do you need to be able to get home and you need to be able to separate work and and home life and get your priorities straight and you know don't worry about asking for help you know that that fucking stigma man when you're in when you're out you know I can't ask for help people are going to look at me differently you know I can't tell the VA I'm having these you know suicidal thoughts or whatever cuz they're going to come into my house they're going to take all my guns they're going to you know they're going to call my boss they're going to they're going to make it bigger than what it actually is, even though I know I'm not going to do it, but I, I want to do it kind of stuff. And it's, you know, we need to end it. And I think the, the movement that you're, you're starting up here, I think it, it's really going to take off and it's really going to go places. Cause it's, it's really pure and it's really true. I truly believe this idea is bigger than me. Um, yep. from, I was inspired by a friend right before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, COVID's hit so many people so hard yeah. and so many people out of jobs and, you know, he was struggling to find money to put groceries on the table. And I sent him some money and it, but it just ate away at me because I'm like, there's so many more people struggling with this. Yeah. And, uh, so I went from Thanksgiving day to, to Christmas day, um, doing my 22 workout every single day again. And I was raising money for the vets feeding vets program that mission 22 has. Yeah. And ultimately raised almost three grand um, with that. And it was an awesome experience. But during that, I kept thinking, I've, I've got to have, there's something bigger. I'm not dreaming big enough. And, you know, I just kept mulling this over. And, and one day it just kind of was revealed to me. I, you know, I believe well, got to put in my heart to just like, all right, this is what you, this, do this, because this will be fun. Yep. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just, you know, I thought it over and prayed it over for a few days and, and it just kept growing and being bigger than me. And um, and now watching this whole thing, like I said, I mean, six months ago, I wanted to hang myself in my basement. I wanted to die. And now here I am six months later trying to get this huge project off the ground, starting yeah. to file for nonprofit stuff and being interviewed on podcast. I did not think any of this would be remotely possible. I will also say that the Amari supplements, I hope I'm saying that right. 
that Mission 22 offers, yep. man, they've been so huge. Um, when I came off antidepressants, it, for weeks, it felt like I had a concussion. And I just felt foggy and brain dead. And even just the most basic cognitive things were hard. I was dropping things all the time. Um, it was, it was, it was very frustrating. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, just, you know, if my wife said you need to go to the store and pick up groceries, you know, just a short list. Yeah. I couldn't even, I'm like, what does she mean? I, I couldn't get it. But I started the, the supplements and took them and it was just within a couple of weeks, man, I started to get my cognition back and that brain fog was gone. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been, <laughs> it's been a huge help. So that has helped bring clarity and focus in my mind to help me focus more on this project because I've never done anything of this magnitude before, but I'm super excited. I love it's making me come alive. It gives me a sense of purpose and meaning and, uh, and knowing that, you know, there's the potential for me to help other people with this, that that's what it's all about, man. Absolutely. I don't think there's potential. I think you are helping other people by doing this already. And I hope you never stop it, man. I hope you keep, you know, I hope, uh, you know, you can just keep going for forever, you know? And, uh, A couple of weeks ago, I also did the impossible and uh, I applied for grad school, got picked up for grad school and I'll be going to Regent University starting this fall and uh, master's in psychology, human services. And I think I'm going to focus on life coaching. I've always thought that like this cliche thing, but I'm like, when I told them my story, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect degree for you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i absolutely and, agree like, skip, skip statistics and skip this other state they're like you need this one <laughs> so i'm really excited to set myself up to continue to do this in the future because you know i want to be able to continue to help other people dealing with pancreatitis and, and chronic illness and you know if i can help people that you know are struggling with trying to quit opioids and pain meds and your you know, or any addictions like that um as well as just I mean, bottom line, not quitting. And that's the thing about, you know, mental health. It's about not quitting, you know? Yep. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. We'll see what the future holds. Absolutely. So if I I got a listener right now that wants to, that's been listening this whole episode and wants to find out more information about the 22 Peaks Project or the Ruck Pancreatitis, where can they find it? Where can they get more information just, just for them? How can they get a hold of you and, and listen to your stories and, and watch you as you as you grow with your mission? Well, I have a website under development, and that's going to be 22peaksproject.com. Okay. And uh, right now, the easiest way to get in touch with me or to follow me is on Instagram. And uh, it's at Ruck Pancreatitis, and the other one is at 22peaksproject. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and listeners, you know, don't hesitate. Go, even if, uh, you know, just, just go, even if you're not a big Instagram guy, just go on there, follow him, you know, follow Matthew and, uh, you're going to be amazed on, on the content that he's putting out. And I, you know, and I'm amazed that you're willing to come on my show and, and really dive into more of who you are and, you know, tell me and the listeners there, um, your life story and get it out there. And I, I got a ton of respect for you. 
And like I said, I, I'm going to follow you until following is not a thing anymore. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. It's humbling to hear. I mean, you know, I was picked on so bad. It, I was picked on so bad as a kid and hung around with the wrong people for decades. And I never, I always wanted, I, I just knew there was more to life. And I, I just struggled with my identity, with believing yep. garbage other people try to put in your head. And it took four over 40 years for me to be like, no, man, my mind is my house. Yeah. And I know what I've done. I will build it. I will clean it. I will make it strong and I will live there. And uh, so it's, it's wild for me to hear this stuff because I mean, I just grew up hating myself and believing that nobody wanted me. And that I, and, and it's just horrible stuff that kids right. shouldn't think. And uh, so, yeah, here at being on the flip side now and this, it, it's definitely, I can definitely, I'm, look back and, and say that I'm thankful for all my experiences. It, right. it comes from months. It comes from a very long time of trying to dig into those issues and say, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all right. And, yeah. uh, and just moving on. <laughs> so thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I do. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you ever want to be back on the show again, you know, absolutely. Love to have you on. And uh, th thanks again. And I can't wait to see uh, what you got this year for uh, the 22 Peak Project. And hopefully uh, people take my advice and get on there and, and follow you on the Instagram and, uh, and realize, you know, what I'm saying about you and what you're doing is, is true. And, you know, it's very inspirational and it's very motivating. It's very just it's truth what you, you know what the content that you're putting out yeah truth is a powerful thing that's it all right once again listeners thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the american vet podcast and if you want to get a hold of matthew you know like he said go to instagram at 22 peak project or at ruck pancreatitis and follow him like him and then once he gets his website up then go take a look at his website and uh stay tuned for upcome for the uh for the outro if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much prospered as no other people on earth it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.